I've I've really I've really been challenged by our, by our latest theme, because um, I'm I'm a very rational kind of person. I like to think of myself as being a very rational person, although you know sometimes it gets me into trouble. And um, that's why I like hanging out with Amu because he really doesn't allow me to be in my comfort zone. Rather go, I don't know, to a Baptist church or something like that. No, we love the Baptist church. But um, revival and reformation, those are two words to make a lot of people run out of church. And, um, but I've like, I've, I've been wrestling with this idea. I'm like, okay, God, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. You know, I, I work for this church, and this church still freaks me out. You know, it's like that kind of a thing. And, okay, so what, what can I do? What can I offer? And I felt God, you know, gave me a thought about Angus Buchan, and I'm a big fan of Angus Buchan. Who isn't? He's pretty cool. He's like the father of a nation. And he wrote that book, very cool book, highly recommended, Faith Like Potatoes. And in that book, it's, it's basically about something you don't understand. There's a drought. And God says the rain is coming, and that doesn't make any sense. There's no rational way to explain it. So what do you do? Well, if you believe that, then you prepare for it, right? And so I felt, okay, well, what am I doing to prepare? And that sort of got me back to uh, the story of the prodigal son. And if you were here last year, you know, probably spent all of my sermons on that. Because, I mean... You can go through that that um, parable probably a million times, and the million and first time, you're probably still going to get something out of it. It's an amazing parable. And, but I asked myself, okay, you know, I'll, if if I'm on this revival and reformation tangent, I want to see revival in George, and I want to see, um, and I want to see. Reformation and joy. So we don't just want revival. We want the spark of the Holy Spirit, but then we want that to lead where we can see physical change in our town. We want, you know, we want the orphanages to close down because they aren't, they aren't any, you know, people just adopted all the kids and now there's no more kids. You know, we want, we want the the night shelter to close down because, you know, all those guys we managed to help them out and get their lives sorted together and work and there's no more people coming. That's what we want. Okay. So how do we start? Well, we've got to start, you know, preparing to receive the prodigal sons. Because we want change to start, and it starts with the masses out there coming in here. That got me to think, well, who's the best at receiving people that are lost? And, that, you know, well, the father in the story of the prodigal son, you know, and all his wisdom. And... Um, and then, I mean, that's, it's crazy just to think about, you know, you've got, you've got the son who really, really messed up. He messed up so bad. He took, he took uh, you know, all this father's, half of his father's money, blew it all, came back, and then, you know, you should be going, well, I told you so, Amor. Get for your chassé. You know, he didn't listen, but no, that's not what he does. The first thing that he does is restore his status. You know, it's like your kid takes your murk out and parks it around a street lamp and then you're like, hey, don't worry, here's another one. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's really weird. So, yeah, and um, 
I've been trying to think, you know, okay, well, what, you know, this is the Father that represents God. Let's go back to the beginning. How do we get this heart of God? And so you naturally end up in Genesis. And I started studying Genesis a while back in my days of, you know, um, going with the evolution and versus creationism debate and love to study Genesis. And I studied Genesis because I wanted to, you know, impress people with my intense knowledge and wisdom. And, and, um, and you know, I want I want to, I want to, I want to know my stuff, which is not a, a bad motive. I want to know what I'm talking about. And so naturally part of learning how to debate is you've got to find out what the other side is saying so you can come up with counter arguments. You know, you present your ideas, the other person has a chance to, to speak, and then you give arguments to that. So you need to know what they're saying. And so that's what I did. I started looking at you know, different people's arguments and started looking at, um, you know, secular scholars and what were they saying when they studied the book of Genesis and and then I came across one guy, and the first thing that really hit me was that he loved Genesis. He loved it. And I was like, that's really weird. So he didn't, he didn't, he didn't believe that we, what we believe, but, but he said what scared him was when he started studying Genesis, what he thought was that the ideas behind the story of Genesis, he expected them to be primitive, because that's what, you know, if you, if you believe in the evolution and our civilization coming from, a, and you believe that the ideas start as primitive and they, and they evolve and become more sophisticated. But what he found was the complete opposite. He found incredibly sophisticated ideas presented in the story of Genesis, and it scared him, really scared him. And one of the stories he refers to is the story of Cain and Abel. And he says, there's this idea of sacrifice. They're already sacrificing, and that's a very sophisticated idea. The idea that if you give up something today, it will benefit and reward you in the future. That's, that's not a trivial idea. And if you know, most of us grasp that with your schoolwork or with your studies, hint, hint. You know, if you learn to sacrifice today, to discipline yourself today, you would be rewarded in the future. If you want to learn how to play Beethoven's fifth, it requires self-discipline to go and maybe say no to hanging out with your friends and sitting in front of the piano and practice and practice and practice until, you know, until you get somewhere, until you're able to play Beethoven's fifth. And this really convicted me because I was studying Genesis to win a debate and I'd missed the lessons essentially. And so I started to re-study. I said, okay, well, you know, if this guy who doesn't even believe in God can find so much depth in the book of Genesis, I need to go study Genesis. I need to, you know, I need to find out who this God person is. You know, so I know that I okay, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then I'm going to find out who Jesus is. I need to do the same with Genesis. I need to go find out who is God. Who is this guy that receives the prodigal son? And so I started to read Genesis. And when you read it from a perspective of, trying to learn something, man, a lot of questions come up, because <laughs> it is, it is, it's, it's deep, it's really something, and there's so many, so many weird things about it, so let's read, I'm not going to read Genesis 1 verse 2, 
But I really challenge you, go home, stop reading it from a point of, you know, trying to win a debate. It's, it's useful for that, definitely, but that's, that's a small subsection of what it's there for. You know, it's, it's there to learn. It's there to find out who is this all-creator God that made us. And this is the story, the first story. You know, it should be the starting point. It's Genesis. It's, you know, the hint is in the name, so to speak, you know. So that's what I did. Started studying Genesis. And then we're going to start at Genesis 3. Go home. Start reading through Genesis. Ask yourself, who is the God presented in Genesis? So I'm going to read. I don't like to read sections. I like to read whole passages because context is always important. Okay, let's go from verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had, God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, it's, it's important to point out here that, that, that the snake was not lying about what would happen. They would know what was good and evil. He was lying about the character of God, okay? So he was, he was making Eve question the motive of God's heart, essentially, okay? So we're trying to figure out who God is, and, and right in the beginning, the enemy tries to get you to question that, okay? It's, good, it's a good thing to know. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed figs together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Talk about chivalry. Um, (laughs) First opportunity sells her out. (laughs) Thanks for nothing, Adam. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat. All the days of your life I will put, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it in all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. 
till you turn, return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. And um, the first thing that struck me when I read through these, you know, God outlining the punishment of what they did was, you know, it's the punishment of what they, what they do is sort of the natural way in which we live. And we view it, it's what essentially what he's doing is he's presenting the law. This is, these are the rules by which you'll live by. And it's very much applicable today, you know. So we have a union between a man and a woman and we understand that the woman must submit to the man and, you know, the man goes off and he works and he works and he's work and the woman wants to be with her husband and, you know, there's always, and it's like, but it's like, it's, it's like the normal result of life. It's, it's, it's not ideal and that's the right word to think. It's, it's necessary, but it's not ideal. And that's sort of the first, well, if that's not ideal, what was, what was the code by which Adam and Eve lived their lives before the, before the fall? Okay, because this is, this was starting to break my brain. It was like, okay, there's, they know what is good and evil. So, you know, they, they realize they're naked. That's bad. Put on clothes. That's good. Now you've got to deal with God. Okay, that's not so great because he's going to whack me. And, okay, but he makes me clothes. That's good. Okay, great. And there's this constant. And for the rest of your lives, you know, and that's how life is. You know, you, you're living your life and the problem comes up and you put out that fire. And as you're putting down that fire, it seems like three more pop up and you're putting out that fire. And then you lose your job. So you wangle some cash on the other side. And then, you know, your, your wife gets sick and... You know, and you constantly, evil, make a solution, evil, make a solution. And that's, that's life, you know. And it's, it's not so great. You know, and, but this is, this is what they've subjected to themselves. He says, you're going to know what is evil and what is good. So what was, how was the way that they lived before? Because this is what I asked myself. Did the, I mean, the first two chapters, God creates the earth, and he describes it as being good. How did he describe it as being good if there was no evil to measure it against? Okay, and then, so, can you know what is good if you don't know what is evil? And I'm, I'm really having a hard time with this because it doesn't seem to make sense to me. What was the code by which the... I mean, I just got this picture of, you know, before the fall, Adam's trying to make a house, and he... He's getting a plank, and he measures, okay, I need to cut this plank two meters. And then he's, like, cutting and cutting, and then he goes to me, he's like, oh, shucks, I made it 1.5 meters, I've sinned. Or is it just going to magically fit because he can't do any evil? I don't know, you know, it's like, I'm like, I'm trying to figure, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, if there's got to be, like, there's got to be, like, I plant this plant here and that's the right place to put it or I plant it there and it's the wrong place to put it or does it just not matter you know it doesn't make sense but then if it doesn't matter then you know why would God take him to tell him to take dominion over the earth and you know I'm getting really confused I'm maybe confusing you and I'm just like I don't know what's going on so I, I start praying about this and um, and I, I feel God leading me to two scriptures to give me clues. Okay, and the first one is 
Romans 3 verse 23, and I quote this a lot. And there's this idea, and, and uh, Paul, Paul recognizes that there's two charges against humanity, essentially. There's, there's the, you've sinned, okay? You've done bad stuff, okay? And you're a bad person, and you were born into sin. But that's, that's, that's half of the problem. It's not just that you've sinned. It's that you haven't uh, lived, lived up to the glory of God. You have not reached your full potential. Okay? Why are you condemned? It's not because you just do bad stuff. It's because you're not living up to your full potential. Think about that the next time you want to go binge watch some series. <laughs> Condemnation, conviction. Oof. <laughs> Lord, please save me. Okay. But this is the idea. So Paul recognized that it's not, it's not about doing bad stuff. It's about reaching its full potential. Okay. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. It's like, you know, the, the parable of the talents. It's echoed in the parable of the talents. You've got a guy get five talents, a guy get two talents, a guy that gets one talent, and the guy gets five talents, and he makes five more, and Master's very happy with him. The guy makes, gets two talents, and he makes two more, and Master's very happy with him. Shop, awesome, you guys are cool. Come share in the joy of your master. And then the guy with the one talent, he takes the one talent and gives it back. You know, like fully wrapped. It's not like he goes and blows it all. And, you know, he gives back essentially what he's given. And it's like, and the master's angry with him. It's like, well, why? You know, why? It's like I get Amul to come house sit my house. And I go away for two weeks and I come back and I'm angry at him because he hasn't built a flat in the backyard. You know, it's like you had one job. You know, it's, and it's like he just, he gives me back my house and it's, you know, sweeps the floor and washes the dishes. It's exactly how I left it. Okay, I wouldn't have left clean dishes. I'm not joking. You know, so it's like, well, why is he angry? Well, he's angry at his servant because he didn't live up to his full potential. Okay, because he had the ability to multiply what he had and he did it and he didn't do it. You know? And that's, that's the thing. It's, it's like, hey, you sitting over here, you have the potential to change the world. And if nothing else, you have a moral obligation to go and help people. Amen? Okay? If you, are, if you have a branded shirt, if you can read and write and do some semblance of maths, you're in the top 10% most richest and well-educated people in this country. By default... That's probably, pretty much probably sums up everybody in this room. By default, you're a leader. You are the 10% that's going to lead the other 90%. By default, you're a leader. You have a moral obligation to pursue some semblance of potential that will change at least some people around you. Okay. So there's that. And then the second clue was in John 1. Because, you know, logically, if you're trying to figure out what is going in the first book, before the fall, you go try and find some sources that mention the first, first part before the fall. And John 1 sort of describes that. And he says, well, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He's referring to word, the Word being, being Jesus, the Logos Word, the truth. And, um, and in verse 4, he says something very interesting. In him was the life. Was, past tense. He's still 
talking about that time in the beginning, in the beginning before the fall. In, the, in him was life, past tense, and the life was the light of man. Okay? So what's he saying? Is, what, is the, what is that light referring to? There's a, there's a picture of a light. A light illuminates, it gives direction. Your word is a, your word is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet. Or have I mixed that one around? Yeah, okay, you get the idea. Okay, there's this idea that this light gives direction. Okay, so how did they live before they knew what was good and evil? Well, they followed directions. Okay, they obeyed. They listened and they obeyed. This is the best way to do this. How did the snake deceive them? Don't listen to that guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay, well, if you're not going to go listen to me, then you need to go find it out on yourself, and that's going to hurt. But it's going to teach you. But that's your decision. That's, that's what happened. How did they live their lives before the fall? There was God. They were in union with him. They watched him, and they did what he did. And if it looked like what God did, then it was awesome. And if it didn't look like what God did, well, then you know, you made a plan and you did it again until it did look like. That was your blueprint. You know, you, it, it's got to look like what, because, hey, he's the good guy. He knows what he's talking about. He's good. He's awesome. He loves me. He created me. He hangs out with me. Everything that I have is because of him. Isn't that cool? Okay. And, that, and then there's Jesus. Okay, and he, and he reiterates this. And the Bible says that he, he knew no sin. Okay, but the funny thing about Jesus is that whether you're Christian or non-Christian, everybody agrees that he was a pretty good guy. Okay? Well, how could he be good if he didn't know evil? Well, what did he say? I don't do anything. Everything that I do, I see, I do, I see my father doing. What I do, I see my father doing. It's the same ancient code of living by obedience. Okay? I look, when I see... I obey, okay? And through that, because he is the perfect model, if I model my life after him, I become more like him, and I reach my full potential, okay? And that's how I'm able to change the world. That's how he changed the world. That's why we still talk about the guy 2,000 years later. He didn't have an Instagram account. He wasn't a politician. He didn't write any books, but we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. Well, Why? Well, he lived according to this ancient code. I only do what I see my father doing. Isn't that beautiful? Eh? That's really cool. Thanks, Gary. I like you. You affirm me. Okay, cool. Speaking of sacrifice, if you want to learn how to sacrifice now in order to see some cool results in the future, I'm always going to be doing a water fast tomorrow and Tuesday, and he's asking people to join him. So if you'd like to do that, I think there's a sign-up at the back of this church service. If you want to learn how to sacrifice, limit yourself, give up something, give up food, see, see some cool stuff, see, see spiritual chains breaking... I, I dare you, I challenge you, the gauntlet is officially thrown down. 
Okay, great. Is that good, Omo? Awesome, yes. Okay. So what happens when we get saved? That's a good question. Okay, so we're living to this, this inferior code of living. It's the, it's the written law. That's what the law is. It's a whole list of don't do this because it hurts. Bad. You murder people, people are going to come for your blood. Okay? You covet stuff, well, you're never going to focus on actually trying to get stuff. Okay? It's, it's a list of, you know, do this. Honor your parents. Why? Because they know more stuff than you. Okay? They don't think they know more stuff. They don't have really good theories on how the world works. They know how things work because, you know, they bash their head a few times and they can tell you that this stuff hurts. Stay away from that, okay? Honor your parents. It's, don't, don't mess around with that. That's what the law is, okay? It's basically a list of stuff we've figured out by now. doesn't work, <laughs> you know? so funny that one of my favorite quotes was this comedian. He's like, when I was 14, I thought my father was stupid. And when I was 21, I was surprised how much he learned in seven years. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's fantastic. Okay, let's go to Romans 7. Romans 7, Romans 7, and we're going to read from 4 to 6, okay? So what happens when you get saved? Paul sort of summarizes it. There's, there's a whole lot of scriptures, like, there's a lot of scriptures on what happens when you get saved, so I'm not saying this is it, I'm just saying, let's just summarize. Okay, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so you've died when you get saved, you accept Jesus Christ and he pays the price. All this stuff that's been, you know, being built against you, this case, he sort of comes and he wipes out the, wipes out the ledger. Okay. Die through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Okay, so what happens when you get saved? You're no longer stuck to the system of trying to plug holes so that the wall, the water doesn't leak. God's like, Jesus comes in the super glue and he covers all the water. So what can you focus on? Putting more water in. Okay, so now that everything's been leveled, okay, we're going to focus on building, because that's what, that's what you do. You know, if, if you've got nothing to worry about, if everything's sorted out, well, what do you do? Well, you create. That's what that's essentially the conclusion God came up to. The most powerful thing that ever was, is, and will be. What does he do in his free time? Well, he creates. He created you. Okay? You, you build. You, you move. You start making stuff. And then that's, that's reiterated in, the, in, in, in your marriage. You've got two people and they come together in their perfect union, which represents the image of God results in the creation of a little thing that runs around and puts your phone in a glass of water. And <laughs> oh, Oliver, he's so cute. Okay. Um, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. 
But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Okay? What's the new way of living? Well, God takes care of all this stuff. So now everything, you've got a blank, blank slate. And you get a lot of Christians that are still focusing, trying to sort of, you know, you're five years down the line, they're still trying to figure out whether or not they're the righteousness of God. That got sorted out when you got saved. You are the righteousness of God. Okay? I can pray for you, but eventually you're going to have to take the step and believe it, at least by faith. doesn't need to feel like it, but act like it. You know? Because God's released you to build, and that's what you do. You focus on building the kingdom of God. What is building the kingdom of God? Romans 14, verse 17, the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, you know? And that's what you focus on, you know? You've got righteousness, right standing with God, peace, peace and goodwill to all men, and joys. You know, it's an inner joy, not dependent on your circumstances. So essentially, in a very simplified layman's interpretation, you know, you try and make right with God, you try and make right with the people around you, and you try and make right with yourself. Forgive yourself. You know, and that's what you focus on, and that is what God has set you free from. That's what Jesus died for the cross. You don't have to focus on trying to fix every hole. You can now focus on building the kingdom of God. You know, and maybe you can, you know, help somebody out next to you. And maybe, just maybe, you know, they started figuring this stuff out, and they, they, you know, they can get a better relationship with their parents, and maybe start helping somebody else and you know they can find some semblance of you know peace in their lives and it's 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 one of the most rewarding things that I've ever experienced in my life is to spend time with people and over a period of time see them wrapped up in so much chaos and now they're able to manage it and deal with it and bring it under submission to the point where it no longer rules them to the point where they can now start helping other people with that. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's, it's one of the most rewarding things in life. And, but I'm, I've only, I'm only able to do that because when I got saved, there were people that received me and said, Hey, Luke, this is the amazing part about Jesus. He came to set you free. Okay? And he's called you to change the world. You know, and I'm this mess of a, you know, I've been smoking weed every day and I'm addicted to pornography and, you know, I stole stuff to pay for the weed and I'm just like, I'm this blobbering mess of a thing on the floor and this guy comes to me and, was, you know, first time I go to small group and he's like, you're going to change the world. I'm like, well, either I can be, choose to be that or I can choose to, you know, I'll, I'll stick with this one. It's, it's pretty cool, you know. And then you go, and that's exactly what, you know, my first small group leader, I mean, he really didn't know what to do with me. Because <laughs> I was, was a bit of a mess. But, you know, if you, but he had the wisdom not to try and figure out the answers for me. He just reaffirmed who I was. Well, you gave your heart to Jesus, so that's not who you are, Luke. You're a world changer. That's who you are. So let's go to Romans 15. Uh, 
Luke 15. Best book in the Bible, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Now let's, re- let's look at this. Okay. Because here's, here's my proposition. Okay. If somebody walks into the church for the first time, it's not the time to wrap them over the night. Well, maybe you should stop smoking. Okay? Maybe you should get your life together. It's not the time. Okay? It's like, so I've got a, I've got a little kid. He's one years old in a week's time. Very cute. And we've got a stove, an oven. And, you know, the oven, we bake some stuff in the oven sometimes so it gets hot and you know, it's got shiny lights inside, so, you know, one-year-old and a light, you know, anything that's shiny, you know, and he goes and you catch his hand and you go, no, he's like, and you catch his hand and you go, no, you know, and he tries and do it a third time, and if you're a good parent, then you whack his hand, you know, because you want him to associate the oven with pain because if he touches the oven, it will hurt him, okay? And so maybe he cries for a bit, but hopefully he's learned, okay, this oven is going to hurt you and if you touch it, you know, and then, but then inevitably, you know, you discover his fallenness right there and he doesn't take your word for it and he goes and touches the oven, you know, and he burns his hand. And now what you were trying to tell him, he knows, you know, he's, Learned his lesson in a sense. And now it's not the time to go, Oliver, whack. That's not when you give your kid a hiding. That's when you pick him up and you go, I love you. And I'm proud of you. And don't worry about it. Daddy's here for you. And you reaffirm him. And that's, and that's what the father does essentially. Okay? Because let me tell you, when people come into this church, okay, they're coming here because they've already messed up. And they know it. How do you receive prodigal sons? Well, you have to have the wisdom that if they're coming to you in the first place, they know what they've done wrong. You don't have to tell them they know. Not, not they, they think they know, they know. And they've come to the conclusion that maybe they don't have all the answers, which in that moment makes them wiser than half the people in this church. Okay? Because you don't have all the answers. Okay? They've sort of figured out stuff isn't going right. But those guys look like they know what they're talking about. Maybe I should go to them. And they've had this moment like the prodigal son. So let's read from verse, verse 17. But when he came to himself, okay, so when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. So he recognizes his sin and the futility of his sin. Okay? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Okay? Why did he feel compassion? Because the father was clever enough to connect the dots. He knew his son. He knew that his son was stubborn. The only reason why his son is going to come back is because he hit rock bottom. Okay? He had the wisdom to, to see what was going on. So it requires wisdom from you when somebody's walking in the door for the first time. Okay? They're here for a very specific reason. 
They're here because they know they've messed up and they're looking for answers. It's not the time to give them a whack. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring out the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, was, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What is the first thing the father does when his son comes home? He affirms who he is, who he was tended, intended to be, the potential with what he has. He affirms his identity. This isn't the time to start going, what did you do with half my money? Vaas my geld. No. Hey, my son. Hey, my daughter. You're a world changer. Okay? You are my son. You are my daughter. Here's a robe. A robe represents um, royalty in a sense. It's part of the family. And he gives him a ring and says, you know, you still speak for me. You have my authority. Okay? I have all authority and I give it to you. I'm sending you. He He has shoes. Why do you have shoes? Well, so you can get around better. Okay? Because you're going to have a lot of influence. But let me tell you something, my son. Before we do anything, before you go out and do anything and change the world, we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a party. We're not going to do it afterwards. We're going to do that before. That's how you receive prodigal sons. You've got to have the wisdom to see that when they're here, they're here for a reason. So maybe some of you are saying, oh, well, then, you know, everybody gets a free pass. That's not what I'm saying, okay? When people come and try and produce, try, share falsehoods as being truth, then you need to be hard. You need to come down hard and you need to come down fast. Put them in their place. But when somebody's coming in here, they've, they've established the truth. That what they're doing doesn't work. And that's true. Okay? This is the thing that Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees. He says, I don't have a problem that you're blind. It's that you think you can see. That's my problem with you. Okay? So, yeah, when people come, when the guy comes to me and says, uh, yeah, Luke, I think it's okay to sleep with my girlfriend before I get married. It's like, no, sorry, brother. Okay? Show me how your sleeping with your girlfriend is going to reach your full potential and get the lost saved. Vice for my A prescription. A prescription to change the world. That involves sleeping with your girlfriend. Oh, Luke, I think it's okay to smoke weed. Okay? Show me how smoking weed is going to get you to live up to your full potential. Sorry, it's not. But, you know, people that are coming in here, they would know that. They would know they've done it, and they know it doesn't work. That's why they're coming here. So it's not the time to go, Amu, okay? You're okay, but I don't like your car. Go sort it out. Get a new car. You know, he just got a new car. (laughs) Okay. 
Now's the time to reaffirm identity. Let's all stand together. So I'm going to get it tomorrow morning about the scripts evening. I just know it. Dear Lord, please save me. Okay. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5, from verse 16. And he's talking about the ministry of reconciliation. And it's a ministry that he reiterates God gave us. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation to bring people to God. And when you're with God, you're not, you're not under this inferior way, this inferior code of trying to fix everything wrong in your life. You know, under the law. You're under this, the, the first intended law of follow me. You don't know how to live? Follow me. And Christ comes and reiterates this. He says, a new commandment I give you. Love others as I have loved you. This is the superior way of living. And that's how you regard other people. When they come into the church, hey, brother, I know you're struggling with all these different things, but here's Christ. And he's the greatest example that he is. Follow me as I follow him. Okay? And you've got to do that honestly. It sometimes means you've got to whack people and say, no, it's not. He's going that way. It's not going there. It's not going in the bedroom to go sleep with your girlfriend. He's going that way to purity. Amen. Okay. But here's the beautiful part. You know, it's like, it's like you can, you can really still mess up. You know, we had a, we had a, a one of our students back in the day, and um, you know, she, she slept with her boyfriend. Um, you, some of you might know her name's Flora. She shared a testimony in church before, so I'm not speaking behind her back. And she slept with a girl with her boyfriend, and she got pregnant. And the first thing that she does is she comes to Monica and I. She shares. Well, Monica first tells me beforehand, which was a good thing because I threw a tantrum and threw a bottle against the wall and wasn't very happy. But you kind of collect yourself. And the first thing I did was I phoned my parents. Because here's the crazy part. My parents got married because they got pregnant with my brother. And 
they happened to have an amazing church community that was like, okay, made a doo-doo, you pick it up, okay, you messed up, repent, amen. But you know what? We're going to be with you and sort this out together. Okay, because when you repent and you ask forgiveness, well, then we, that's gone. And we don't live according to that. So now we can live in accordance with, here's a baby, the ultimate expression of potential, if ever there was one that we know. You know, and we're going to celebrate this life. And I wouldn't have the wisdom to do that if my parents didn't go through it. And that's, that's the beautiful part about redemption. You know, and I can go talk to them. Hey, how did you guys get through that? And they shared this with me. And now I have the wisdom to share this with another girl. And she got married since. And they, they just had their second kid. And they were very happily married. And, and there's this idea that, well, you know, you get your life sorted out together. You know, and I'm not going to remove the challenge from you. But this is my promise. You're not going to do it alone. You messed up, but we're going to sort it out together. Isn't that beautiful? That's the the power of redemption. And one day they're going to grow up. They're probably going to meet another couple who hit their head on the wall. And they go, hey, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you this testimony. Okay? We messed up. We did the same thing. But you know what? God turned it around. Okay? These are our children. And um, that's... That's what you want. Now we're building. Now we're changing people's lives. Now they get their stuff together and they find, they order their lives around them and they start, you know, making a house, metaphorically speaking. And they're bringing up their children in the way of the Lord and their children and their children and their children end up changing the world, you know. And Amul can testify to that. He's direct descendant from Andrew Murray, a guy who brought revival and reformation into this, into this country. And a couple of generations down the line, we've got an amazing family that is impacting South Africa. He's, all, his, all his father and uncles are in ministry and almost in ministry and his brothers and his siblings love the church and are in ministry. Why? Because of one man's obedience. Isn't that that something? And each of you have that potential. Each of you have the potential to bring about change in your family so that the generations after you to come. Okay, imagine imagine if we had imagine if we had a couple like just a hundred Andrew Murrays today. You know what would what does what would this country look like in five generations time? Okay, but let's pray. Talking too much. Get excited. It is exciting because the, the potential and the possibilities are endless.